0: Hello my name is John Brink and we are podcasting on the brink from beautiful the capital of Northern BC Prince George and today it is a podcast on the BC forest industry in transition and I have a special guest today his name is Pat Bell and I've known Pat for probably more than 20 years I would think if not more than that and uh, uh, and, and the other interesting pa- thing about Pat, in particular, is that he's been very involved with the BC government. And in fact, was elected uh, in 2001 as a member of the BC uh, government, and uh, you know, the and was there for about 12 years. And uh, but including in that was he was also the Minister of Forest, and we also going to talk about that in a number of other things. Pat. Welcome to my show.
1: Well, thank you so much, John. When you said that you had a special guest, I was looking around and thinking, well, who 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 else is here? Clearly can't clearly can't be me. So no, it's real real pleasure to be back for a return visit because I was on one of your earlier versions. Absolutely, the virtual one. Yeah, yeah.
0: And then uh, you know the uh, uh, so for me it's a special day today because Uh uh, you know the. uh, I turned 82 today, can
1: you believe it, November the 1st. John, I, when I think back to how long we've known each other, you said 20 years, I'm sure it's much longer than that, probably, yeah. probably more like 30, and I was thinking like your, your hair was dark and I had some hair yeah. Yeah. when we yeah. first knew each other. So yeah. it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, you're a tribute to uh, everyone. I think we, we should all aspire to be as healthy and look as good at 82 as you do. So, so good on you for whatever you're doing.
0: Yeah, I, I'm trying to stay alive. I, I want to die young being old. That's the objective. Uh, in the meantime, uh, you know, and, and just kind of joking about it a little bit. Uh, As you well know, there's nothing more important than health. Mm -hmm. And you had a bit of exposure to that in 2013 when you had to make a decision to kind of step away from politics. We'll talk about that a little bit later, a little bit more. But so you well familiar with, uh, you know, the importance of uh, being healthy, physical, mentally, obviously as well. But uh, the first thing is uh, uh, being physically healthy and remaining to do that. And then uh, just talking about the past a little bit, uh, Pat, uh, you know, that uh, we've both been involved in politics. And then I always remember, you know, when I was involved somewhat with the BC uh, Socrates uh, uh, that were in power here forever, virtually. Uh-huh. And then, uh, you know, and then at one time, a mutual friends of us, uh, Dennis Jackson, I ran into him and he uh, downtown someplace and I already had the mill and uh, I was a mill operator. And Dennis said to me, why don't you go with me to the AGM of the local riding up in George North? And I said, okay. So I went with him to the <laughs> local riding, And then uh, I'm sitting there and say hi to this and, I, and I'm just there to watch, right? So, and then before you know, there was an election And then they said, okay, well, I'm nominating, Dennis, I'm nominating John Blank to be president. I (laughs) I said, what? And, and, and the, the second, and then before you know it, I was the president of the idea.
1: Well, John, you know, I mean, everyone knows, and, and it's just demonstrated here already that you talk with your hands. <laughs> and you have to be careful in two places. Any, any political meeting where you might be volunteering and an auction. Exactly. So I know, I know you have to be careful of both of those. <laughs> exactly. It's, uh, I mean, if it wasn't for people like you and other volunteers, who commit themselves to uh, being supportive in the political world and being <laughs> writing association presidents and working as treasurers and then maybe, maybe running at some point, uh, you know, we'd, we'd be in, in not a great place. Canada was founded on the basis of volunteerism great. and people being willing to put their name forward for great. difficult situations. No and you're a great demonstration of that. Uh, But really I think it's one of the things that has made BC and Canada great is that willingness for people to engage in the political process and and, uh, do so on a volunteer basis.
0: And the other part about it uh, Pat, is and you've done the same, is Northern BC is so special, Mm -hmm. so beautiful. Prince George is such a vibrant city, so young still. But still at the same time, great potential growing and uh, we all were so involved and and how do we build the the city? And then the one part in particular, the College uh, of New Caledonia was Mm -hmm. one of the ones that we all, you know, helped grow. And then the other one, obviously, is the University of Northern British Columbia. And I always remember, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, that. There was a lot of pushback, uh, and then already, uh, uh, you know, the uh, Bill Van Zandt was the premier of mm-hmm. the province, and and uh, and treasury, I think, was Rolf Hagen at the time. I believe the MLA for the island somewhere. Stan. Stanhagen. Yeah, Stanhagen, uh, and 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 so we had the AGM mm-hmm. in Penticton, and we had busload full of people yep. going there. We had tag, and we had uh, uh, science and and we made a lot of noise because we wanted a freestanding university mm-hmm. in Northern mm-hmm. British Columbia,
1: and we made it yep. happen collectively. You know, Prince George just does that so well, though. Yeah, and you know, I think about not just uh, UNBC and uh, and CnC. But I think about uh, the Northern Medical Program, and yeah. f- you know, freestanding medical uh, f- uh, physician training program, the cancer center, yes, you, yeah. s- the sports center. You know, s- all those things. Swimming pool in uh, the north. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. people just people come together yeah. and they set objectives and they say this is important and they put their money where their mouth is because yeah. you you will recall that a bunch of people put out was it ten dollars or I forget how much it was now, yeah. but they they Five put hours. out some money. Yeah to actually say we want this university Absolutely. in the north. And it here's became the Society but... of
0: Northern British Columbia. Exactly, and, yeah. and I think they uh, uh, 12,000 people or something yep. amazing number of people. Yep. So the, the the other thing so unique about it is that uh, when, when doing some more difficult times when we had all the fires in the area, 18 and 19 uh, in particular, I think mm-hmm. uh, 2018, 19, uh, you know, it was, Prince George taking a leadership role and mm-hmm. helping the surrounding communities. And yep. I don't know how many thousands of people were yep. welcomed in to Prince George and that really, in adversity, brought everybody together. Mm-hmm. And I think that's unique about Northern British Columbia. Yep. Yeah,
1: you know, it, it, it's, it's interesting. That example is a great example, uh, but there are other ones as as well. One of them uh, was the 2015 uh, games Famous. that we wanted to host here in Prince George. Absolutely. And I was part of the bid process when yeah. I was in government, because, of course, that happens way before the actual games. Yeah, And I remember going uh, uh, to the committee that had was working to bring the games. Every political stripe was in that committee. We yeah. all put down our weapons and said, yeah. this is for the good of Prince George, Yeah, and we made it happen. Yeah. And it was an incredibly exciting a uh, couple of weeks, no question when, about when, that. when we had that, so you know, it's 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 interesting because there are times that uh, we you know we we have uh, political foes and we're kind of fighting sure. with each other. Yeah. But there are many times when we say this is in the best interest of Prince George. Put all those things down. Forget yeah. about them. Let's yeah. pull together and make it happen. The university is yeah. a great example. The yeah. College of Medical Center. The. 2015 yeah. games?
0: Yeah and and the future will be the same. Because oh sure. That's who we are right? Exactly. And, and the the other part that uh, I thought was uh, unique is that uh, you know the uh, and, and obviously you are very much entrepreneurial you acquired Wendy's uh, for one uh, there have been these restaurants uh, one here on Victoria Street another one on the bypass mm-hmm. and you did a number of other things you drove logging truck you were an, a logger for all intents and purposes and you've done the whole area and then the one thing that was very interesting then is in 2000 and 2001 in particular uh, there was an election again and uh, you know and uh, we both were involved in mm-hmm. the BC Liberals and, and, and you get to the point where you have to walk the talk, right? And so I had been a writing president, you were very involved and, and were approached about potentially running for uh, the BC Liberals and Prince George North. And, and uh, you throw in through your head into the ring. And then I, was, uh, I made the choice as well to run in Prince George Mount Robson together with uh, Shirley, yep. uh, and uh, you know the uh, and you were successful in Prince George North. The whole experience of going through that is unique. You oh, know yeah. that that I had been a riding president, but I had never been involved really mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in an election uh, where somebody's going to win. And in my case, Shirley won. I'm glad she did. She uh, has been a fabulous, fabulous yeah. and still is today, uh, a fabulous, uh, representing uh, the North and government and Rose Wright
1: to. Well, Deputy Premier, she Dep- was, she was, she was, acting, or she acting was leader Premier. of the opposition. Yeah. And, and, then, and Deputy Premier and as then, well. John, I was going to say, you know, if, if it was, was, it, it is only for fate that I'm not sitting in that chair and you're not sitting in this chair. Because if you had decided to run in Prince George North, I'm sure you would have won. And if I had to run in Prince George Mount Robson, I'm sure I would have lost to Shirley. <laughs> so, so you know, maybe the roles would have been reversed. So be? I, I, I think, uh, and at the time, I think you were actually living in Prince George North and I was actually living in Prince George. Mm-hmm. So somehow we got our wires crossed. you absolutely right. You know, so, and that is the
0: process <laughs> of deciding where do you run and, and and I think the difference in votes between myself and Shirley was sixty three or so. No, I don't think so it was So the swing like, was thirty six yeah, votes. My re-
1: yeah, exactly. My re- election yeah. my recollection is was even fewer than that. But but yeah. yeah, it's you know it's and I'm not sure who the winner and who the loser is and all this whether uh, you know maybe maybe you were the smart one to to run against Shirley because she was an unstoppable force. Yeah that uh, was going to win it yeah. didn't matter whether it was you me or who it was yeah she was going to win that but seat, it was so- an
0: amazing experience and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know but the other part was is interesting uh, for us collectively as uh, uh, northern BC individuals but BC Canada individuals if I look at the politics across the line in the states they are I believe civil yeah. you know that I didn't want to lose you know and uh, but uh, I I called Shirley that evening and uh, and ever since that time I've always been close to sure. her and even still today uh, you know be our friends and yeah, yeah, uh, for sure. you know and and uh, you know so then I look across the other line and I say oh my god how yeah. mean it gets that, <laughs> I, that it's a blood sport yeah, and deal. we're
1: seeing it right now in spades of course during the midterms so it's been it's been very interesting to watch, but yeah, but uh, yeah, I, I, I uh, it was certainly an interesting dozen years, you know, John. People often think of me as a politician because that's right. where they saw me originally, yeah. and I, I think of myself as a business person that's been in Prince George since nineteen eighty eight. First and took, foremost, who took twelve years off to 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 do a little stint in the political world. I, I agree, but uh, it's, but what uh, an experience, back. Tremendous one, tremendous yeah. one
0: because you went right into the different portfolios i believe yep. you were into labor as one and then a number of other senior roles and one of the ones was minister of forest mm-hmm. which which you always liked because you and me used to talk about it That was the because, one because we both looked at it as uh, okay john if you get in you know then uh, let's work closely together yeah. on on forestry and uh, yeah. you know and we both had had experience in it and uh you know, and uh, yeah, there were lots of opportunities there. So the the other thing, and we'll talk about that a little bit more later, but uh, the other thing that, uh, you know, I'm kind of thinking about in your case, being very successful in regards to your entrepreneurship and, and Wendy's in particular, but then you decided to build the winery mm-hmm. on a location across the river from where the mill is, and... I thought it's because it's all about location and and because the business that you were in is Wendy's is all about location, location, location. Yep. Yep. Same as McDonald's, location, location. They mow down a whole building and build yep. a McDonald's there, you know, so because the location. What motivated you? And, and obviously because I've been watching you across the river. Beautiful development, mm-hmm. very successful that I can see in here, uh, you know. And and then a winery. I'm thinking about grapes. Yep. You know, and and what you do is is fruit. How could that possibly be? Exactly. So tell us about it.
1: Well, well, it was very interesting. So 2013, you mentioned earlier. I yep. I didn't run again uh, for health reasons. I yep. uh, went uh, through some tests and. Uh, they discovered a pulmonary aneurysm. And so at the time, um, they, they really, you know, the sense was you should really, you don't want to have any extra stress. You should really, you know, Get your calm your life down. So that was ten uh, years ago, right? Uh, almost exactly nine. Yeah. yeah nine. So, well, it was so, ten uh, years ago actually that I was diagnosed. So, yeah. are
0: you ch- uh, how, how are you doing now? Uh great. So they are you um, checking it regularly? It, is so that they the... started
1: out uh, every six months. Yeah. Uh, I'd have a CT scan. Yeah. And because they were watching it very closely yeah. to see if it was growing, and um, and now it's every uh, three years. So that's a good sign, right? So they they have come to the conclusion that. It was uh, probably something that I've had since birth, yeah. And it's just the way I was, and it's probably not something to worry. And you know, they said you might die from it, but you know, you might die by getting hit by a car or something too, right? So, so uh, the the long and short of it is, um, at at this point, I'm kind of free to do what I want. Yeah. Uh, But uh, you know, I think it. When I look back at uh, when I chose to leave, I, I think it was smart. And uh, 12 years is is a long time in the political world for anyone. Well, and yeah. there's some surely is a good example who have been very successful for much longer than that. Uh, but uh, but I you know I don't think it's a bad idea to kind of have a time limit for yourself yeah. and yeah. and I think 12 10 or 12 is a is a good number so well,
0: especially in your case because you are not a politician yeah. per se you are an entrepreneur that became a politician so uh that's where your so so, but the question you
1: asked was the the winery and where did this all come from and i like any good politician deviated off your question but uh the uh so in 2013 when i got out i was 56 years old yeah and i felt like i i i i mean i had too much working career in front of me i didn't want to just say you know okay well i'm going to retire because we had some income coming from our existing businesses and and uh, they, were, they were doing well, but I wanted to do something else. So um, I, I, we made a kind of a sh- shortish list of half a dozen different ideas, things that we were interested in. Some of them were in forestry, uh, some of them were in hospitality. So those kind of two yeah. general areas. And then we started looking at, okay, w- you know, what is, w- where are the opportunities in these areas and what makes the most sense? And so we started knocking off kind of one would fall off here and then another one. And we were down to three or four ideas. And uh, a lot of them kind of revolved around wineries. One of them was build another winery in in the Lillouette area. There's a very successful one down there called Fort Barron's right now. Land is relatively inexpensive, so that made sense. Um, One was a fruit winery here in Prince George because clearly you're not going to grow grapes here. Um, we actually were thinking about uh, doing a paddle wheeler on the Fraser and the Chaco as a, uh, a, a restaurant. At the Conefex? Yeah, yeah, well, and it, it, the thinking would be during the winter, it would just be beached and ashore. Yeah. But during the summer, you would run cruises around. So we thought that that had some potential. And then um, a, a forestry initiative, forestry idea. And uh, we, I was driving around one day and drove by the lot that northern lights state winery is now on and there was a for sale sign on it and i thought you can't i don't think you could find a better site i mean tremendous agricultural site south facing big hill acts like a catcher's mitt so you know prince george is is uh, kind of zone three that's kind of closer to a zone four climate uh at that plus you're on the river and john how many times you've been here forever i've been here for a long time how many times have you heard someone say, Why isn't there a good restaurant on the river in Prince George? We've exactly. got these two beautiful rivers. We should have a, a restaurant there. Uh, so I uh, spent a little bit of time looking into it. and But most people thought the other
0: side of the river.
1: They did. You're yeah. correct. You're yeah. correct. Uh, but actually, I, th- I would argue our side's better because it's south facing, so you yeah. get that beautiful yeah. sun throughout the entire day. Our patio You're is
0: obviously right because yeah. you can see it, right? So,
1: so anyways, uh, we uh, uh, the property was in the is in the agricultural land reserve. But a uh, winery is an approved usage, and if you have a winery, you're allowed to have a restaurant in it. So all those things kind of came oh, together. Yeah. And, and you know, I don't want to overstate the restaurant in the winery because the bigger portion of the business is the winery. Yeah. So we are, uh, there's about 350 wineries in B.C. Yeah. We're in the top 10% now. Wow. We've just cracked the top 35 uh, this year. Okay. Uh, we're the largest, By volume, then? By uh, volume, Pat? yeah, okay. by volume. So, we do about 10,000 cases, 12 bottle cases wow. of wine per year. Okay. Um, and uh, that was, so, we're the largest uh, fruit winery, of course, in British Columbia. Yeah. Uh, largest fruit winery in Canada. And out of the top 10 fruit wines in Canada, we, we are number one, number two, number five, number nine, and number 10. So, Amazing. we dominate the fruit wine scene in Canada. And what uh, kind of. Why? I think it stems back to we hired an incredibly good winemaker. I heard that, yeah. She was trained in Bordeaux, you told France. told me that at the time, yeah. You know, Christine LaRue is her name, uh, trained in Bordeaux, France, uh, and we gave her free reign, but we said, you know, we, we, we don't want to, I mean, we're prepared to age our wines, we're prepared to use oak in whatever our wines. Whatever it takes, right? Whatever it takes, but we want wine that is is not comparable to, because that's not fair, but... We want wine that is of similar quality to the best grape wines that are made. Yeah, And, uh, you know, what What we found is some of the best, uh, some of the individuals who, you know, really consider themselves to be uh, uh, Somali, even though they maybe haven't been professionally trained, uh, they have trouble distinguishing some of our wines from grape wines. Not, not all of them, because some of our wines are made to be a fruit wine. Uh, but... Uh, it's it's been an incredible experience it's been very rewarding uh doug uh our business partner and son uh does all the hard work i do very little of it so he's the one that really deserves the credit for for the business uh but uh we, how old is doug uh he's 37 now yeah uh so uh, one one little guy a three-year-old uh, son and a wonderful wife uh but we we are um uh, looking forward to the next three or four years at Northern Lights because even though you know I know people in Prince George look at it as a significant enterprise and you know I think we employ 70 or 80 people right now there uh, it's it's going to get that much bigger again and uh, it won't just be Prince George that's looking at it and saying oh yeah I like that Northern Lights winery you'll be seeing our product we're we're already in 300 uh, liquor stores around BC that number will double we'll be in Alberta we'll be in Saskatchewan So we're very excited about the future of the winery, we think it's going to be great.
0: So have you got enough room at that location to grow to double the size?
1: So John, if I I asked you uh, 30 years ago, did you have enough room for four finger jointers on your existing site, what would you have said? I will find it. <laughs> we'll find it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We may go underground. We may. We, you know, we yeah. haven't figured out all of it. We, yeah. Actually, we've done some preliminary designs and, and uh, we can yeah. That site, I think we have to be very careful of uh, because it is spectacular. We're just off of uh, yeah. uh, Pumpkin Walk the last over the Halloween weekend. Right. Um, we, we do a uh, light up the orchard event, uh, that'll be starting up in about four weeks. Yeah. And people in Prince George love that site.
0: Oh yeah. We,
1: we, uh, one of, one of the things I think is kind of, I find, uh, most satisfying is, uh, TripAdvisor ranks, uh, you know, restaurants, things to do all that sort of thing in every town. Yeah. And in Prince George, in the things to do, we have been the number one. Thing to do in Prince George for over five years it took us yeah. a year and a half to kind of get to the number one spot, uh, but what's more rewarding, John, is number two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten are all government-funded organizations. Right, we're the only private sector thing yeah. in the top ten. Amazing. Eh? That that uh, and we're number one, and we've been number one cons- for. Five or six years, seven yeah. years now. Yeah. So it, uh, I, I think it's great that the private sector can, can build something, do something as an enterprise, be successful, and have people embrace it and say, "We love this place."
0: Yeah. Well, the other part, uh, you know, that, uh, and you, alluded to that. I always say you can't do it alone mm-hmm. you know you find the best possible people to yep. surround you yep. and and I say it toe in cheek a little bit because you cannot soar like an eagle if you work with a bunch <laughs> of turkeys right so the uh you know and uh you know and and that has been my success in a lot yep. of ways and and yours as well, especially in that field. The other part about it is that uh you know do you uh uh, starting another Wendy's in mm-hmm. Williams Lake mm-hmm. and just for international or our national uh, viewers Williams Lake is about two hours from here. Yep two and a half. Two and a half yeah. yep probably yeah. the way you drive it's still two. But, on, you on know, the, for... Going south towards Vancouver. Yep,
1: yeah yep, exactly yeah we're very excited about that that's a project we've been working on for I say 30 years yeah uh, only with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek yeah, uh, but we've had uh, three different runs at developing a store in Williams Lake and yeah. couldn't put across the finish line the first two times. Yeah, uh, but uh, we have now, and it's an incredibly good site. We're really excited about Is it. Is that
0: again location, location, location? Uh,
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you could, you know, we could have built a store there 30 years ago, but it wouldn't have been in the right place. Yeah, and so you know, you you really do have to, uh, you've got to find the right site.
0: Now i never quite end for our guest again. Watching. Wendy's is a chain restaurant throughout
1: North America, right? Primarily North America. We are international. Yeah. So number two uh, largest hamburger chain in the world behind right. McDonald's. Okay. Uh, it was founded in 1969 by a guy named Dave Thomas. Okay. And uh, his daughter uh, was uh, Melinda. Okay. But her nickname was Wendy. And yeah. so that's why it's That's Wendy's. where it came Wendy mm-hmm. from. And... and
0: And you were involved with Wendy's in Edmonton at one point?
1: Yeah, I worked corporately for them. So I I, um, uh, came out of university in 1979 uh, uh, with an education teaching background. Decided that was not where I wanted to go. Ended up, um, the, the guy really, I guess, maybe that I considered my mentor said, you know, there's this new chain coming into Canada called Wendy's. And they've been around the U.S. for about 10 years. And it looks like they got lots of potential. And you might want to go talk to them and just, just see. At the time, there was two stores open in Canada. Well, uh, one in Vancouver, one in Toronto. And uh, so I went and interviewed with them and uh, was, was hired, brought on. Didn't start for a month and a bit because I was finishing up university and a few, few things. Um, so uh, uh, started with them in June, I think, of 1979. And from the time I'd interviewed until the time I'd opened, they'd gone from two stores to about 20 stores in Canada. So they're growing very quickly. Uh, Worked in the organization for nine years. Ended up, uh, the last three, I was the area director for the Prairie Provinces. So I had stores in uh, Winnipeg, Calgary, Red Deer, and Edmonton. And uh, they were very successful operations. Up until that time, Wendy's was a master franchise. So it was owned by a company called Adlefic Inns. Okay. Who ran a number of the Holiday Inns in Canada? Okay, and uh, they, I think, had not met their growth obligations. Perhaps okay. I'm not. I don't really remember exactly why they lost the master agreement. But in any event, uh, Wendy started franchising um, to uh, other other individuals right. in Canada, and uh, uh, myself and the two other senior guys in Western Canada all. Uh, jumped very quickly to each other. We were gone within almost weeks of yeah. each other. One went to Victoria. One uh, had a partner and, and acquired part of the Vancouver market, and then started building in Vancouver. And uh, and I came to Prince George. Yeah. So uh, and then uh, here since since 1988. So if you if you kind of really go back, uh, you know this this chubby little body of mine. Uh, has been eating Wendy's hamburgers since uh, since 1979, so 40, yeah, and 43 fun- coming up to 44 years, I guess.
0: Yeah. Now, if you look at Wendy's, how involved are they in terms of, y- 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 you pay for the franchise, are they also involved in locations, do you have to, in the equipment that you have, they are quite involved in what it needs to look like and how you present it? Mm-hmm.
1: So we're we're very lucky because we have a, a guy that I hired when he was, um, I think, 17 years old um, in, uh, in when we opened the Victoria Street location. He might have been 18, uh, who is our operating partner for Wendy's. And he owns about a third of the business now yeah. of the Wendy's business. And um, so he is fantastic. So to answer your question, uh, Wendy's does a lot of the work uh, yeah. we do the, the, the they, they may bring a site to you and say we think this site's good in the Williams Lake case we found that site and negotiated the deal on it ourselves yeah so um, uh, but Wendy's can can provide those services where they actually come to you with the site uh, they also of course have because they're building you know, hundreds of stores every year. So dead them as well? Uh, they, they are actually all franchised now. Okay. When I started with them, they were about two-thirds uh, company and about one-third franchise. Right. And then it flipped and became two-thirds franchise, one-third company. Right. And about, I think it was about 10 years ago, they made the decision to sell all the company stores. Yeah. Strictly become a franchisor. or Yeah. Uh, So and that's seen some real growth since they've done that the franchise community has come together and built a lot of stores Yeah, Uh, but uh, yeah, so they they you have a detailed list who the suppliers are what the pricing is So it's it's a relatively simple thing to build a new store. Yeah uh, As long as you have the capital requirements to do it because of course, it's you know, it's not cheap. So no, no Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, you know, setup. yeah,
0: so the uh, and, and then, uh, so from just listening to you, then you are in a real growth mode where you're doubling virtually in size on the Wendy's side and then you plan to double in size on the Winnie's side and obviously very successful. You have the model already, it is successful and just to continue on the same should mean that uh, your company will look totally different in another two three four five years.
1: Yeah we're I mean it's uh, I, I think uh, I'm very fortunate you mentioned something earlier that having the right people is really key yeah and I'm very fortunate to have the partners uh, Todd uh, Lewis and Doug uh, our son uh, really operating the companies. Well having so, Doug there
0: is uh, is critical and he's doing a very very yeah, good job. Yeah on, it's really key so
1: yeah. uh, you know the company I, I st- frankly see the company as being more theirs going yeah. forward and um, if, if uh, you know, if they kind of want to see ongoing growth, uh, yeah. we're, we're well capitalized, you know, we're, we're able to finance uh, the work that we need to do. So yeah. um, I think there's a happy place and I'm probably the more conservative one right. that asks the tough questions and says... And, and
0: that's good, that yeah, creates exactly. the balance, right? Yeah, yeah. So,
1: so I think, you know, that's my role. Their role is to push hard. We've got a nice tension there, yeah. so it's a nice, healthy... Kind yeah. of, they're pushing, I'm pushing, yeah. and we get to the right place. And our two yeah. daughters are very involved as well. Diana, our middle uh, daughter, is is on maternity leave right now. Just had yeah. uh, our uh, one, two, three, fourth grandson, fifth grandchild. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Um, a few few well, a month and a bit ago now. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, But she uh, owns and runs Hobby Brews, so that's another one of our small businesses.
0: Yeah, nice. Yeah. And, and that one is located
1: on? Massey and Speak Up. Right. So it's uh, yeah. you know you bring you want you want uh, you want to make your own wine. Uh, you come in, we make yeah. it for you, a special. You make your own labels. You can uh, more you, and more you could popular, supply, I understand. Well, you could supply all of your Christmas wine to all yeah. of your employees, and we could yeah. put your face on the bottle. John. Yeah, yeah. There, yeah. there's my pitch. Good idea.
0: <laughs> I, we have to check that out. So the the other part that I like to talk to you about, and obviously, we already were talking before this, really. Uh, that I wanted to get you as a guest to my podcast and talking about your entrepreneurial things in particular. But then the other thing that I've done is that, uh, I started last week and particularly in regards to the forest industry in British Columbia, that, uh, as you well know, how long were you minister of forest? you have from 2000 and I,
1: I'm glad you reopened that because yeah. I, 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 there was a funny little story I wanted to share as well with that jump, but I was uh, three years. In, in the ministry from yeah. 2008 to 2011. But um, in, uh, you, you will recall that Gordon Campbell stepped aside in 20, late 2010, early 2011. Yeah. Uh, and um, Christy Clark ran and was successful. Yeah. And uh, so she called me into her house uh, which was always a good sign because it meant she, want you in, she wanted you in cabinet. If you got a call, yeah. then it meant you were going to be in, in cabinet. So right. she called me to her house and, and she said, Pat, uh, uh, I uh, you know really like the work that you've been doing and I, I want you to take on uh, the role of jobs, uh, tourism and tech, technology and labor was in there, a bunch right. of other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I said no 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 Christy you don't understand I'm the forest minister yeah yeah and every you know I'll say everyone in the forest industry wanted me because that sounds arrogant but yeah. I, I built a you know I think I'd built a good connection with you with yeah. people like Hank Hatcham, uh, with Don Kane with yeah. with uh, uh, the Tolco folks and uh, and the union folks and uh, I I was pretty happy in forests and I could have yeah. stayed in that portfolio. Through to the end of of, uh, of my term, yeah, and uh, and you know and maybe longer, and uh, Christie said to me, "Well, no, no, Pat, you don't understand. I'm the premier." Yeah, <laughs> and so I said, "Well, yes, yes, premier. Can you remind me what that the name of my new portfolio?" Is? <laughs> so, but it was quite funny because I just had not, you know, I, I I where I had worked very hard and well in all the portfolios I was in, but in force and I really was looking forward to another two or three years in in force because there was a lot of yeah. undone work yeah and and I still feel mentally degree, ready for right yeah and we'd moved you know I think I really feel like we'd moved things along nicely yeah. in many areas and uh and and you know, I just felt There was more work to be done, but in in any event, I enjoyed the jobs portfolio and got to write the jobs plan, which is more or less still being used today. The NDP wouldn't say that, but but there's a lot of elements of the jobs plan that's still in use today, and, and it served BC well.
0: So the one that I liked in particular, because you've been so close to the forest industry already before, because of us and, and, mm-hmm. and you've, you've always been close to it and part of it because uh, you were involved in the logging side, you were a locked in and, and, and you're from Prince George, that means you're lumber, exactly. right? <laughs> and, you know, in, in yeah. manufacturing. So what has happened in the last number of years in particular You know, we, a number of things have happened. Uh, Some of them are, and i like you to interact with me, Mm -hmm. ask me questions if you wish. So that's usually how I talk about the forest industry in particular, Mm -hmm. is that uh, I like being challenged on on some of the things that I believe in. And then having your amazing amount of experience in it is extremely valuable for our public to listen to. Is that, uh, obviously, pine beetle Mm happened, nature, Global warming, call it what you want, but the result was that uh, uh, in early 2000 and probably for the next 10 to 15 years, uh, most of the lodgepole pine in the interior of the Mm -hmm. province, uh, you know, had died and was gradually getting to a state where it no longer was. Ecom- economically viable mm-hmm. to make lumber from it. Interesting part about pine, as you well know, is that uh, it, it stands longer than most, yep. uh, like spruce beetle uh, yep. is about three years. Where this yep. pine,
1: it can be ten years, twelve oh, yeah. years. They're still know. harvesting a little bit of the dead. A little pine bit that's of it. Dead for 20, 25 years. So, but uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And so what happened then is during
0: that period, and and again, uh, you know, but the government or the Ministry of Forest together in the government had to decide to recover as much of that timber Mm -hmm. before it would become less usable. And they, where the annual allowable cut used to be around 60 million cubic meters average and uplifted it as high as 80 million Mm -hmm. meters for a number of years. And uh, to just deal with that issue of the beetle. And uh you know, but then, at some point,, uh, in particular in the last five years, uh, it had to come back. The results of that brought it back to around the sixty million cubic meters. Mm-hmm. And then from there on in, add to that the other part, spruce beetle yep. uh, uh, happening in the in the peace region, Mackenzie in the eastern part, was kind of showing up further reducing the annual overcut, add to that FIAS in particular. Yep. And then a number of other things happened in addition to all of that. The one was, uh, uh, you know, by law First Nation was going to get sure. more access to fiber and timber. And then, in and, and sharing in revenue, and, and that's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was the, uh, uh, and, and all of those things then became in motion so but already the the one thing for me as somebody that had been extremely active in value-added manufacturing i've always looked at the forest industry right from the time when i came to canada in 1965 that i worked at sawmills and i looked at the burner conveyor, half the log sure. would go up the burner yep. amazing timber you know then even in those days, up to about the mid 70s, pine was looked at as a weed. Yep. Nobody wanted it. It's all the bigger logs, but then gradually closer utilization came in. Uh, you know, a number of opportunity licenses mm-hmm. were issued and uh, a, mil- a number of other mills uh, uh, developed and particularly around the North area and then an other opportunity, like in my particular case, I started lumber remanufacturing mm-hmm. in 1975 as an opportunity. And I saw that as an opportunity that could, could go much further sure. than that. And, and I was quite active in it, like in the... So, ninth- so John,
1: I want to just stop you for a yeah. second because I want I, 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 I don't want to miss the opportunity yeah. to touch on something that you were talking about earlier that I think is really important, and you're, you're starting to kind of shift from forestry to manufacturing, right. which uh, right. is really important. Yeah. But, but on the forestry side, you talked about, you know, the pine beetle, spruce beetle, uh, the, the First Nations tenures that were Great. being issued... Uh, you know, all that sort of thing. Um, but but there's one underlying principle that I was unable to push across the finish line. And one of the reasons why I wish I had have been there for maybe a couple more years, because I think maybe I had a chance to, to get it. But for me, uh, the structure that we have of our licenses is all backwards. Yeah. Because it's all about cutting trees and not growing trees. Ten- the 10-year system exactly. as it is. Exactly. And what we need to incentivize uh, the forest industry to do is to grow trees. I agree. And in the U.S. South, as you know, it's all private land. Right. Uh, so they, they are driven by economics. It's the Correct. only thing that they're driven by in the, in the U.S. South. Correct. And economics drives them to grow trees faster, more productively. Right. So they can rotate the uh, stands on, yeah. on, on their private lands and have a better income stream come off of them. Correct. So when I, when I think about that, what it really leads to, because we're not gonna privatize land in British Columbia. This is not gonna happen. Uh, BC, it's ni- 94% of the land in BC is crown land, Correct. 6% is private. Yeah. A big chunk of that private land is actually on Vancouver Island, probably Correct. three, two and a half, 3 a half, three 3 percent of it's on Vancouver Island. Correct. Um, but, but we did have a, a tenure system. We do have a tenure system uh, that incorporates uh, a tenure called a tree farm license. Correct. And one of the, some of them are operated very well. Some of them aren't. One of the ones that's operated really well that I think people could turn their attention to is the Dunkley TFL. Correct. Uh, just uh, I guess around Hickson and south of Hickson. Right. When that tenure was first provided to Dunkley, and I, I might get the numbers a little bit wrong here, so I don't want people to hold me to them yeah. because it's no, no, Been a while since I've, I've I agree with you. Joe. Thought about yeah. this. The, the volume that they were allowed to take off of that stand initially was about 170,000 cubic meters per correct and it's a defined area it's a specifically correct. defined area they did a bunch of work yes on that and uh, in terms of fertilization in terms of uh, better inventory systems about better stand spacing, utilization spacing all,
0: all those things to make it grow and they took it from
1: 170 to, to close to 300. That's the point. So you think about that number and you think about so our our, our AEC went from, you know, in the interior, uh, which is what you were talking about from sixty million cubic meters up to kind of close to eighty and then back down to sixty and it's kind of headed to fifty-four, maybe even high forties. But about you, that, you yeah. change the tenure system around and you incentivize companies to grow trees as opposed to just harvesting them. And, and that's the, the, the volume off of the land base that we have could easily go back to 60, 70, 80 million or cubic more. meters or more.
0: Interesting, and you're absolutely correct. Uh, but uh, last week, I don't know if you saw the program that I had with uh, Rob Schultz. <laughs> we talked about that as well. Is saying that, uh, you know, that uh, the other part that is very important is but we have a 10 year system that is mainly a volume Based oh, exactly. yep. If it were area based, like the, yep. the, the TFL that Dunkley has, although relatively small, yep. it would then create the incentive of more intensive forestry, yep. which yep. would likely mean that the, the, the land base that we have now mm-hmm. could, and, and I talked to Rob about that, could likely in the next, in the midterm, 30 40 50 years depending on how much work we put into the intensive forestry would likely yield as much as 50 percent higher sure. if not more sure. in the future so i agree with you 100 percent
1: and about the, that. the thing that's interesting about it i think is we may be coming to a point in time where that's possible yeah and the reason why i believe that is uh the roger william uh, decision in the chilcotin uh, that has more or less, deeded a large chunk of land in the Chilcotin to the Sokotin, uh First Nation group yeah. down there. Has really said that uh, the the First Nations, the Indigenous peoples in British Columbia, if they can prove uh, that they uh, have have lived on that land uh, for time immemorial, that they defended it uh, against attack, uh, that they can that they can apply to actually have that land awarded to them. And, you know, I hope... Was that Deb uh, uh No, no. So no. this is a Roger Williams right. case. Okay. Uh, that is about 10 years old now, okay. maybe, yeah. or so. Uh, but it was a really a transformational decision by the judge uh, at the time. And, uh, and, you know, I think that, I mean, p- the, the issue is when the Crown owns all this land then you you, sometimes you have voices that are in the minority uh making policy and they're the squeaky wheel
0: exactly
1: and so decisions are made by government that aren't necessarily the the best decisions the most principled decisions they're made because there's a group of people that are arguing that that's what they want yeah and you know what my hope is that as the indigenous peoples get more control over the land base uh, in their traditional territories that they will start looking at forest practices uh, that that would replicate what we see at Dunkley yeah, no and question. maximize the value because it's in no. their best interest. No question. It's about in that. the forest company's best interest. Yeah, and it's in the people's of British Columbia's best interest. No question about that. That that a model of forestry realign itself that really creates value, and right. and you know we talk about creating more value from our forests, and uh, that that's half the equation. Half the equation is what you do with it once. And, and that gets back in the to your medium
0: point. to longer term but we have to invest in it now to you have, have to those results it. it's 30, like 40 years from now
1: it's like over at the winery if i don't have high quality fruit to put in our our, our uh, tanks yeah uh, we're not going to make very good wine no and no. Uh, the same and and it's going to limit our production whatever we whatever we produce is what we can what we can sell
0: yeah no so, i uh, i agree with you uh, pat the other part about it is though the uh you know and and I was looking at uh, you know one of the you know the one of the things that is going on today as we speak is the reality is that uh, you know that most of the annual allowable cut in the province of British Columbia is controlled by half a dozen companies mm-hmm. uh, you know who have probably up to seventy five percent of the annual between seventy and seventy five percent if you have seventy to seventy five percent of the a annual allowable cut then you control it all. Mm-hmm. Because the the ones that need the incremental, how can they compete with you if you already have that volume? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The the other part that we have is that, uh, you know, that, and for their own reasons, that most of the ones that have the big six in particular, they have decided that, for good reasons, likely, that BC is too costly, not globally competitive, and they have decided to invest elsewhere. Mm-hmm. But you still control all the timber here. Yeah. And, and then the, uh, that has been a problem uh, in our communities, Mackenzie, Fort St. James, all the communities around here. Uh, 35 sawmills have shut down, probably another four or five will shut down. That's the one part the other part is that in terms of lumber remanufacturing or further manufacturing I believe Pat and and I'm referring to the study that mm-hmm. you did uh or your signal was on it I think it was in 2009. Yeah I think we might have
1: released it in 10 but it, we really wrote it in 9. Seems yeah. to me. Yeah
0: so, so it was called yep. the uh the, the name of it was called
1: uh, create, uh, uh. It was generating more value from our forests. Correct. And John, I want to say, and and you know this, but you had a huge amount of influence on on yeah. that document. I did. And and I know that the the day you read it, even though I was not sitting in your office, yeah. I am certain that the day you read it, you had a big smile on your face I because did. you saw your thumbprint, yeah, and and how that was influencing the policy. I uh, so deeply believed
0: in this. And you know something, Pat, I still do today, and if I go back to this again, you know, exactly the problems that we had in the early 90s when we started operating mm-hmm. is that, you know, I, 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 I think we are so blessed with probably some of the best fiber in the world we grow in the province of British Columbia. And, and, uh, and, and then we have the best location vis-a-vis market. The United States to uh-huh. the South, uh-huh. Asia uh, to the West, and then Europe to the East. And then, you know, then I believe that with the fiber that we have, that the, the lumber that we manufacture from the time that I first came here, when have the log one up the green chain into the burner, then it became close utilization, turning it into chips. But I think we can do more with our fiber. Oh, yeah and i believe that that what we should be doing is that uh and 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 once i say that that companies feel confident to invest again a couple of things will happen the mills will be smaller they will be more based on the profiles and then the other part will be there'll be more technology and robotics and there will be less people involved Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and But where the opportunity lies, Pat, is in further manufacturing or secondary manufacturing. And and that can be in combination with the primary sector or in strategic, uh, by primaries, or in strategic relationship with secondaries, or by secondaries, and where you can take up to i believe 50 percent of the lumber that is manufactured 25 percent of the lower grades and 25 percent of the higher grades can go up the value chain mm-hmm. and i'm absolutely convinced that i was quite i was the founding president of the bc council value added Wood process we had eight associations 800 member companies two-thirds of them are gone now mm-hmm. for lack of access to fiber. and then one of the things that happened a number of things that happened through policy. A, uh, you know, that at the time of negotiating the soft lumber deal, that we had quite, been quite involved in already, I was involved with three negotiations where we got the feds in negotiations with the UN, United States to tax second-day manufacturers on the volume going mm-hmm. into the plant, not mm-hmm. the amount of value added at the end. They totally forgot about it. That was not part of the last negotiations, unfortunately. That, in a lot of cases, meant that they had to pay 20% duties. Yeah. Like a company like uh, bring Forest Park has 60 million paid and, oh, wow. and un- unbelievable, a lot of companies couldn't survive. Mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, you know, the other part that happened is that in our initiative to China, you know, that the Chinese, with all due respect, are smart business people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we we in, in, in terms of when the markets are average up to as much as 3 million uh, uh, billion board feet annually goes to China, all of it low grades. Mm-hmm. Very little dimension for obvious reasons because they're not building houses like we do. What they do with the low grades, they remanufacture mm-hmm. mm-hmm and to other products and and I believe that what we have to do in this province is we have to add more value socially and economic to the resource and look at opportunities in the value added sector in terms of how do we stimulate the value added sector to particularly work with the primaries and then add value in the primary sector in relationships that are strategically aligned between primaries mm-hmm. and secondaries. And that will, like a company like Brink that has no timber, be employed close to 400 people.
1: Yep, yep. You know? And it's, you know, I think, um, uh, again, it kind of comes back to how are you incentivized? Uh, to operate your company, and, and uh, the model uh, that we operate under, for a number of reasons, uh, is one that really the, the incentive on the major licensees is to manufacture lumber, dimensional lumber, for construction, ship it to the US, get paid, and, and keep building. And for a long time, they had a problem with their, with their low grades, and uh, you would take a lot of it, and there would be others that would take some of it as well. Uh, but uh, China certainly, at one point, sucked some of that up, and that that appears to have reversed now. And and Russia is supplying them with roundwood instead, so it doesn't appear to be as much of, of an issue. But you know, econ—I mean, you know this, John—that that, that uh, economics are a wonderful thing. You've you've survived on it by being uh, fast on your feet, by being productive, by producing a great quality product and doing it very efficiently and uh, so if if the economics of the business are allowed to operate in, in their best uh, the, the best way then the businesses will will come to the top and what it's a reason why a guy like you Has had so much success started with $25.47 and today you got 400 people working for you uh, Klasnikov's is another I think interesting example Kootney's yeah. Ken who's I, I think yeah. kind of retired I think it's kids yeah. are running the business now but yeah. but you know very interesting guy and they got into CLT cross laminated timber in a yeah. significant way in the last three or four years yeah huge Has opportunity had great success
0: we want to do the same here so the, the, the key pad becomes uh, you know and, and uh, uh, you know that even still today that most of the low grades, the virtually are no low grades available are still shipped into China, mm-hmm. even at cost lower than we would pay. Mm. And, and why is that? Because, and, and this is not something that I think, the, 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 the facts prove that, is that, uh, you know, that it is easier for a mill to sell three months worth of product sure. And then just put it in the can but and ship it, it, it down there.
1: It drives their economics, right? Yeah. And that's and you know they, they because the the commodity uh, timber world, the commodity lumber world, is such that they're living day to day in pricing. When they can lock in a price over an extended period of yeah. time, it works to their advantage. But yeah. you know, if 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 we go back to the original report, uh, it talked a, a lot of, about a lot of things. One is we have the Wood Innovation and Design Center just right almost beside us here. Um, The uh, one of the areas where there is enormous opportunity is in the commercial and institutional sector for construction. Wood uh, represents 90% of the construction in the residential housing sector, but it represents about 20% or it did at the time that I was there. Maybe that's changed now, but represented about 20% of the, uh, of the commercial institutional sector uh clt other other products i mean that's that's just that's one. just one we, but clt is something that
0: we have a property on victoria street uh, right across from uh, kitty across from the royal bank we want to build
1: a 17-story building Perfect. C- clt yeah and, and it's, it's economic it's structurally sound yeah. it's you know the 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 engineers have proven it to be viable yeah. Uh, uh, and actually better. It was interesting. We did a test after the Beishuan earthquake, which was in yeah. China in about 2008, I think it was, that destroyed a, a huge city. Um, the, um, we partnered at the time with the Chinese government uh, to do some tests on a, a shake table to determine the, the stability of a wood structure versus a concrete structure. Right. And what, what's interesting, of course, concrete doesn't bend or flex. No. It, when it's when you shake it, it breaks. Yeah. Whereas wood, it, it actually it plays creates. With the, yeah. yeah. So the, the the at the time, I remember. I think there were sixty or seventy thousand people killed in the Beichuan earthquake. And at the time, the, the, the you know the estimates were if that had a, if those had been wood structures instead of concrete, it would have been. I mean, there still would have been people that would have been killed. Yeah, but, yeah. but it would have <laughs> been much lower. So, you know, I, I think. Um, I mean, you've done this very well for your entire a uh, working career. But we have to be smart about the products that we produce. We have to be willing to invest in research and development, which right. generally I think the government does a decent job of. I think sometimes their, their research and development is, is done for political reasons as opposed to for economic reasons. But I think there is an opportunity for us to see uh, uh, a, a shift. And it's, you know, it's interesting because this NDP government talks about creating more value I haven't seen much action that actually says they're doing that yet. No. Uh, They talk about it, but it doesn't, I don't, I'm not kind of seeing much movement, but I, I support the idea conceptually. And uh, I think that, that uh, they could go back to this report because I think it's as valid today as it was 10 years ago when we wrote. Oh No,
0: I like it. That's why I like it. Right. So the, uh, because it precisely addresses those issues. Mm -hmm. And the key then becomes that how do we, attract any investment in value ma- value added sure. manufacturing because there's a huge opportunity and 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 and, and then in order to do that that has to be reasonable expectations of access to fiber mm-hmm. and what is access to fiber uh, it's, it's if it is lumber or is it timber and uh, what we did in early 90s uh, All for the same reasons all the same issues we got a small business program Mm -hmm. that set aside 20% of the annual allowable cut for small business it had flaws in it but conceptually that was the issue Mm -hmm. and that's still the issue today is that although we want to get two-thirds of the secondary manufacturers have disappeared in the province two-thirds of them in the North, we used to have fifty companies. Mm-hmm. I was the president of the Northern Association and then a founding president of the uh, of the b c association. We used to have fifty remanufacturing plants in northern b c today we got less than three, maybe four mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's all we have
1: so let me and, let me take you back to something that I think yeah. may be helpful over time and again, a lot of people are afraid of this right now but but I do think it has the potential to solve some of these issues. And that is the, the whole issue of indigenous uh, rights and title. Yeah. and ha- Because a, as that issue unfolds, uh, I, I believe you're gonna see the uh, local First Nations groups are gonna have more control over the timber. Yeah. And that control will not be in, held in the same way by the large forest products companies. Right. Now you said something earlier, which is very true, which is that most of those companies are invested heavily in the US. So now they're used to the idea of working in a place where they have no uh, timber under their control. No. So in the U.S., yeah. they just simply, the mill, they open the mill, they operate the mill, they hang a little shingle that says we're buying timber today, yeah. people come and sell them timber. Exactly. So I, I don't think it'll be quite the same in Canada, but I do think that uh, as, as we see movement towards the Indigenous peoples having more control over the timber rights, they will be in a position to go to people like John Brink and say, John, we've got uh, uh, an AC of three or four or five hundred thousand cubic meters per year on this license and Canfors offered us this and West Fraser's offered us that and Interfors offered us. What, what, you know what, what do you have in mind? What can you what can you do to make this work? And so that a little bit of that delinking that you've talked about lots over the years, between the forest licenses and the big companies. I think we may see that over the next 10 or 15 years. A little years. bit of
0: the challenge there, Pat, is that if you, you know, like we have probably in excess of $150 million invested in our different companies, we have three or four of them, mm-hmm. five of them here. If that, if, if there is no reasonable expectation of medium to longer term commitments, if it is just transaction to transaction, then, so
1: let me stop you there, because yeah. I, I mean, one of the things I know about First Nations yeah. and Indigenous peoples is that yeah. they're in it for the long haul. You hear them say that all the time. Yeah, uh, they are not a transactional society; they don't right. operate that right. that way. Um, so I, I think uh, I my expectation, and and who knows? I mean, you know, I guess we'll all see. You'll you'll be uh, eighteen years from now. You'll be a hundred, and you'll be saying you'll be having me on your. 5,000th podcast, and saying you yeah. were wrong when you said that. No. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I do think that um, the, our First Nations peoples tend to be long term thinkers. And uh, if, if I was a betting person, I would say that one of the thing reasons why Canfor, West Fraser, and others may have a challenge getting into a relationship with the bands is that they're, they're looking for long term certainty and the, the, the Dunkleys and carriers and Sinclairs and Brinks of the world are more thinking in terms of how can I make this business work over a long period right. of time. So, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. Um, if if I was in the political world today, I would probably be working to try and encourage that. Yeah. Uh, but uh, But, you know, I'll just sit on the Sidelines and have a glass of Cassis Noir and see if I'm accurate yeah, or not. I,
0: I kind of think that uh, you know that we should add as much value as we can NBC to the product. You know,
1: so if, I'm going to challenge you on that because yeah. I think I think I think I agree that we want to add as much value as we can. We want to do it economically. We don't want to yeah, subsidize yeah. it. Yeah, I am just no, no. That that dead that is, set still against. The yeah, division, so, right? so. I th- but I think it's important to say that because yeah. um, the uh, you know in 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 my world and the world of Northern Lights we have not taken a, a single penny from government. There's lots of programs we could qualify actually. Yeah. For if we wanted to, because we're farm, we're farming yeah. uh, twenty-seven yeah. acres or so yeah. right now of fruit, which is uh, pretty big when you for northern BC and even yeah. in the Okanagan, twenty-seven acres isn't a small orchard. It's no question. So, um, but you know, I think I think that uh, what's critical is we have to add value and create the right structure from a policy perspective, so that uh, the the incentive to manufacture uh, products to a higher value point is there. But I don't think you wanna, if you just try and force it, you're gonna have an uneconomic product coming out the back end, Yeah, because and your cost structure will be all wrong.
0: And the way I look at it, Pat, in the 47 years that I've been in business, I've mm-hmm. never taken a nickel no, exactly. from government. Yep. Not a yep. nickel, not even if I were a member of an association, could have built them for my cost, I never did that. Yeah. I don't want nothing from no. them. And, I that's... simply want to have the opportunity with this precious resource sure. that if you're saying you're not gonna invest here, but you control all of the AEC, that's troubling. Yeah. You know, if we have product here that we can further remanufacture on the, the low grades or the higher grades, to, and we should then try to attract investors to do that to, and also stimulate the primary sector to do more with the product or do it in strategic relationships or do it by individuals. And that includes First Nations. Mm-hmm. I've, in all the years that we worked together, we have had close relationships with all of the First Nations, still do today. Yep. But in terms of how do we attract investment into the industry and further manufacturing, there has to be reasonable expectations of access to fiber. Mm-hmm. And that goes beyond well, if you want five, but he then, uh, then uh, you know, just call me and I'll sell you a truckload. No, that I, doesn't happen.
1: I, I, I would st- still argue, and, and I, I don't actually know that we're arguing. I think we're saying the no, same no, thing. No. So, But, um, the, you know, the critical thing is, in my mind, is economics have to drive those decisions. No, they, they would. And right? if they do, if economics drives the decision, then you're going to get a, probably a pretty good outcome. Hmm? If you're probably going to get a it pretty good it has to be based on that. Yeah.
0: If that is not what it is, then it will not yeah. work. So, when, but I'm when that's a given. In when my government
1: mind. has control over this, uh, I, I remember uh, Hank Catchum came to me one time. He was CEO of West Fraser at the time, largest forest products company in the world. Right, and he didn't like a, a decision that we made, and so I was. Uh, he was arguing that. Uh, I mean, he wasn't really asking me to reverse the decision, which I, there was no point because the decision had been made. But, you know, he was wanted to make sure that I knew that he wasn't happy. And I said, Hank, you have the easiest job in the world. And he said, what do you mean? I run a largest forest products company in the world. That's it, it, you know, it's one of the most challenging jobs. I've got tens of thousands of employees, billions of dollars of investment. I said, yeah, but but you have one key driver and that's providing the best return to your shareholders that you can. That's your fiduciary responsibility. Absolutely. That's no the expectation. Yeah. As as minister for us, I have to meet the obligations of communities, of the secondary manufacturing sector, people. of indigenous people, of right. unions. Of, right. I have to do so. I have to take all of those factors. Correct. I don't think he saw it my way. But, no, no. But, well, he wouldn't. Hank right. and I got along really well, yeah. so it was it was a good conversation. But you know, as long as government controls the tenure. Um. The decisions are going to be made that aren't necessarily dre- being driven by economics, and uh, and I don't know that that always gets the best outcome. So I think having you know what you and I are both saying is that it's important that fiber flows to the highest and best value, and and, and the question really is how do you make that happen? Because yeah, but we've then, been talking about that for thirty
0: or forty years, it not being argumental, be not. But then I say, well, why don't we just send the logs over to China?
1: Because that then? won't produce the highest and best value. Okay, I mean that's the key, right? Yeah, is, and that's is...
0: that. And I agree with you one hundred percent on that. The same applies to, in my opinion, you know, to some of the other things that we can do. We must look for ways. How do we attract investment that will return to us, and we will give them? Reasonable access to fiber in some form or fashion, so the as word, long as it returns the, the value word that to you
1: just used was give, and that's where I have a challenge because yeah. I think you earn that right, and because otherwise, as minister, I used to get, I mean, I I can't even begin to tell you how many people I had come in my office and say, if you just give me two hundred thousand cubic meters oh, a year of fiber. Okay. Yeah, We're sure. going to do this yeah. and this and this and this and this, and it's going to be great. And so then it it put you know the onus yeah on the ministry and the minister no. to make those decisions. No, I so so kind of I think it. it's it's more, and you've earned the right. I mean right. I've seen seen it, and you've yeah. earned the right yeah. to have that that access. So the, but the key is in my mind is you've you've got to have people be able to go out and earn that access, and if they do, yeah, then they should be on their but, way.
0: But Somebody will not come walking in the door and saying we are invest, we are asking you to invest. Then the person that says, okay, there is an opportunity to invest. How do I have reasonable expectation of access to fiber? That's what I use. Mm-hmm. Not give me, but have reasonable expectation to fiber. If you say, "Well, I can't say that," then you say, "Have a nice day," because yeah. I can invest you know, John, elsewhere.
1: John, there's there's people like you and people like me though that I, I mean, you 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 took your twenty five dollars and forty seven cents and invested that wisely, and you built a significant empire today. And uh, and Have as you, you read my book against all odds, well, I love your ADHD even better. So you like that? I love that one even better. But the the you know you you. Uh, the, the, you know, and, and you asked the question earlier about the winery, like why would you possibly uh, think about building a, a, a fruit winery on on the wrong side of the Nechaco, you know, in Prince George, right? Well, that's so, having foresight. So, well, I I always say that the difference between a vision and a delusion is a very small space, right? <laughs> and yeah, you know, the the um, when we built the winery, there was the, we, we had no. Uh, the, the, there, were, there were many 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 people who thought th- they were relatively uh, certain that I, I had lost my mind when I was in government. Yeah. When I did that they were certain I'd lost my mind. yeah and you know we proved them wrong and yeah. uh, and you know when you invested in the secondary manufacturing sector and you built a sawmill uh, when the spruce beetle came through the Barr and you know those were all they, they were all entrepreneurial decisions that you made. Uh, that were very strategic, and they could have been wrong, or they could have been right. Right. It's like, wh- why did you run in Prince George, Mount Robson, and I ran in Prince George North? I, I can't tell you that today. No. Otherwise, the rules probably would have been reversed. Here. Yeah. No. No, for sure. So, yeah. it's uh, yeah, it's you know, it's it's fun to think these things through.
0: Now, on the other hand, you know, just kind of looking and and again, if I look at your document and that.
1: You and me were quite involved in it. I, I like to and, think of it as our document. Your yeah. face might, might not be in it, but you, know, you influenced me over a period of our friendship of yeah. 15 or 20 years, and, 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 uh, and, that, and that's really where we landed. And I
0: love it in terms of you know, identifying opportunities as mm-hmm. to where do we go, and that was in 2009 and i s- still believe that there is huge opportunity in the province of british columbia not only in the forest industry as we go forward obviously it's going to be a bit of a challenge uh, in the midterm uh, but i believe as you do uh, you know that uh, we will do much better in terms of regrowing uh, the annual albulk likely well beyond 60 million cubic meters yep. And that uh, I still believe that we will look forward in seeing that the industry will look different as it does today, that there be uh, uh, smaller mills uh, that have uh, different profiles, highly highly in technology on the primary level, Uh, employing less people, but that it will be in uh, uh, doing as well, being very active in value-added manufacturing as, as primary producers, as well as in strategic relations with the secondaries, and that individuals will be accessing the fiber, mm-hmm. up to fifty percent of the volume produced, the, 20, the lower twenty-five percent, all on an economic, solid, no sure. handouts, no subsidy basis, and I believe it will be good for the primaries that will be here yep. being in those relationships, and yep. that's what I deeply believe. No, I in. think
1: I think you're uh, you're right on the money, and it's you know I think. Uh, there have been little shifts at times it's gone back and forth. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, I always like, uh, the word crisis. Yeah. Uh, because in every crisis there's an opportunity. No question. And in fact, in the Chinese language, uh, the word crisis is actually a combination of two words I'm One is surprised. for danger and one is for opportunity. So yeah. it's Wei is how they, they say yeah. it. And someone will write in and say, no, you, you said it wrong, which I probably yeah. did. But, yeah. but, um, the uh, you know in China, the old, virtually the oldest society on the planet, yeah. um, they they believe that every time there's a crisis that comes along, there's lots of danger associated with it. Yeah. But there's also lots of opportunity. No question about that. And you know when when we're seeing this big fall down in in AC, yeah. Uh, there's going to be a whole bunch. It's not going to be you and I. No, no. But there's going to be a whole bunch of young entrepreneurs yeah. that are going to come up, and they're going to say you know there's something here and I don't know why those guys didn't figure it out before yeah. but when times are good it's hard to make change happen yeah it's only when times that are tough that you yeah. actually can make yeah change.
0: then people sit up in bed in a cold exactly. sweat and say tomorrow I, I have to meet with the banker it, exactly. what am I gonna do where do yeah. I go right and
1: I and I think this this downfall in AAC uh, actually may trigger that and I'm hopeful that I'm hopeful will. so you know we'll. we'll, we'll see where it all goes right yeah well you i know you won't be an innocent bystander because you'll still be working hard but uh but i'll i'll I'll, uh i'm going to enjoy the process over a couple of glasses of wine and uh, watch things unfold
0: pat it has been a pleasure again meeting with you and uh you know and be going to do this again absolutely absolutely it's always a pleasure john thank you for being my guest thank you yeah thanks pat